Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. We hope you're doing well this week and that uh, all is well with you and that everyone had a wonderful bonfire night, Guy Fox Day, um, on November 5th. Um, it, was a, it was a great night at my house. Um, Pastors of the Roundtable, as you know, is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. It's brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Together we encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Uh, sitting around this uh, table with me today is Pastor Tim Icoangeli, Scott Slater, and my name is Spencer Snow. We're so glad you've joined us. How are you doing, guys? Pretty good. I'm all right. You're all right. Well, good. Well, um, today we want to talk and continue our discussion through uh, denominations. We've talked about um, denominations in general. We've talked about Roman Catholicism. We've talked about Eastern Orthodoxy. This week, we want to talk about our big brothers in the Protestant faith, the Lutherans. The so, Lutherans. Sounds good. Yeah. So we're going to talk about um, uh, Lutheranism. We've been going through the, these uh, different denominations, talk about um, what makes us different, trying to understand who they are, listen to them, but also understand what makes us unique in, in relationship uh, to these various uh, other uh, Christian uh, or professing Christian uh, groups. So if we want to talk about uh, Lutheranism today, and really when we talk about Lutheranism, we're talking about the first of the uh, Protestant groups, those groups that um, uh, broke away during the Protestant Reformation, uh, intending to uh, reform uh, the church. And in a sense, when we even talk about breaking away, I think that that's somewhat maybe not the best way to think about it. Really, the Protestant Reformation was just a giant church split in the Western church. And there were various groups that split and broke off. There were those who rallied around the Pope. Those would be the modern-day Roman Catholics. Um, there were also those who um, broke away and became Protestants. And then even in those Protestant groups, they uh, divided amongst themselves because of uh, various issues. There was a group of people called uh, the Lutherans that really embraced uh, the the Reformation and the, uh, the theological um, uh, ideas and perspectives of uh, centered around, of course, uh, Martin Martin Luther. Um, so when we think about uh, Lutheranism right away, I think it's helpful to begin with the question that really, I think, in a sense, is the driving force behind uh, Lutheran theology, Lutheran worship, uh, Lutheran practice. And that is the question that Luther was really driving at himself. And that is the question, how do I get a gracious God? How do I get a gracious God? And it's important to remind ourselves that whenever uh, the Reformation happened, which happened in the 1500s, the traditional kickoff date of the Reformation is 1517, that Martin Luther was a German monk, a Roman Catholic or a Catholic uh, uh, priest as well. And he was in the midst of a theological system, and uh, the idea of uh, Christianity was that you try to do what is within you, Christianity, salvation is like a ladder that you're trying to climb, and you climb the ladder, you climb the rungs of the ladder by doing what is in you, by uh, doing your very best. You do your part, and God will do his part. It was actually a theological formula in the Middle Ages. To those who do what lies within them, God denies not grace. So you do your part, 
God will do his part. The good news was, at least according to this system, was that God gives his grace in the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. So baptism, the mass, uh, penance, on and on. God gives you grace, and by grace, it really seems to have the idea almost of a substance or a fuel that empowers you to make progress in becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And as you become more and more like Jesus, more and more holy, more and more virtuous, you therefore climb the ladder and become closer and closer on your way to becoming able to join God in heaven. Now, there were some people who had done so good at climbing the ladder, they had actually done more than was necessary to do. And so there was leftover um, grace, leftover merit, leftover virtue, so to speak, of these uh, these riches, leftover merit to help people get to heaven. And so the idea was is that you could do certain acts and the Pope or the church could hand over and transfer these credits to your account as well to help you on your way uh, to heaven. So this is the world that Martin Luther found himself substantially in, um, is and is that he was trying to do his best, but he found out that he couldn't do his best, and it drove him inward to always examine his heart, his life, his practice, what he thought, what he didn't think, and and he was known for confessing sins hours on end because as he was being told, do what lies within you, he found no salvation within himself until eventually... um, He, as we know, uh, if you know the Reformation story, and we don't have time to really go too much into it uh, today, he realized that salvation is not found in what we do or in doing our best, but salvation is found by simply trusting the fact that Jesus has done his best, and it's sufficient and finished and perfect. And so therefore, um, he uh, trusted no longer in what he did or his heart or his motives, but he trusted entirely in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. And so that changed Martin Luther's uh, idea of salvation, changed his whole view of the church and of the Christian life. No longer is it about climbing the ladder, but it's about receiving a gift and being assured of eternal life because of Jesus Christ our Lord, who has done everything for us. Uh, Guys, before we go into um, exactly what Lutheranism teaches and such, do you think that the idea, this this idea right here, to those who do who does to those who do what lies within them, God denies not grace. Do you think that idea is dead, or do you think there are people today who still live um, based off this idea that if you do your very best, God will help you? What do you guys think? I think it's extremely prevalent. I mean, you hear it all over the place, and I would say it probably spans a lot of different denominations and churches where you hear this kind of this kind of teaching you know of really what really you're you're good you're a good person you know god created and said it it was good and that's you you're you're a good person and that is within you and so you just need to you need to live that out better right you need to do better and god's here to help you do that to do that better right to achieve something inside i mean that's that's probably such a common thing to hear not even in churches but just in academia and all this, you know, in sports and stuff, you have it in you. You have mm-hmm. it in you to do better. They might not say, you know, God's going to help you with this. But right. You have it in you. Go. Go achieve. You, If you think it, you can achieve it, right? Mm-hmm. If you have this desire, go and do it. Right. It's a big push. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, I think that that understanding of things is actually the hallmark of nominal cultural Christianity. Uh, the idea that, and I even 
I even preached about this last night, I think, that it's it's the idea of good intentions. Mm. What God cares about is your good intentions. Mm. And as long as you have good intentions, however you work those out, then he's pleased with you. Right. And and yeah, so I, I think that's pretty much what nominal Christians mm. believe. I think also this is the natural way um this this shows us I think this is what is naturally written on the heart of men. Because if you were go back to the Garden of Eden, um, whenever God put Adam into the garden, he, and uh, he told him, um, you can ha- eat of anything in the garden, but the day that you eat of that tree over there, the day you eat of it, you will die. And we know the work of the law, we're told in Romans, is written on our hearts. This idea is what we would call a covenant of works. It's the idea that if I do my part, and if I fulfill the condition, God will fulfill his part. And we naturally, as sinners... That's where we naturally go to, apart from Christ. Every religion in the world, Islam, Judaism, um, all the religions of the world are about you and your personal inner spiritual transformation. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get closer to God. Christianity says there's no way that your spiritual transformation inside yourself can get you closer to God. God has to come down from heaven to save you and do it all for you and you receive it as a gift. So, um, yeah, I think I was even, uh, I was, uh, on a website and they, they, they posted like a, a meme or something or a, or a picture or something of a, of a very famous, very famous TV preacher who basically said this same thing. Um, you do your part and God will do his part. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's just legalism. That's, that's the law talking. Um, can, how do you know when you've done your part? How do you know that you've realized your full? I mean, you think about a lot of self-help books. They're all about you reaching your full potential, all about you doing your best and improving. And we want to improve, but um, why? Why? Do we self-actualize ourselves, or um, do we receive that um, as a gift again? Can we even actualize ourselves? And it puts people in bondage um, to a large extent. It's just a minimizing of sin, you know, because when we think of, uh, I think, those people who talk that way and think that way to them, sin is just the action of doing a sin. Mm-hmm. So I steal this money, right? Sin. But the Bible talks a lot deeper. Cause even like when dealing with the 10 commandments and stuff, you know, Jesus would say, you've heard it said, do not murder. But even if you hate, you've mm-hmm. already murdered. It's like, okay, right. this just changed murder. Right. Because the, Hating someone is just maybe something I'm thinking or feeling. Right. But now Jesus is telling me that that is a sin in itself. Yeah. And so when you really start to contemplate that about your life and you start to think about how often your attitude is sinful, how often your thought process is sinful, or how even just these thoughts pop in your mind and people say, yeah, but that wasn't sin, just don't act on it. No, it just shows the depth of our sin. That is even sinful. You can't mm-hmm. escape you cannot escape this right. in us. And so me trying to continue to get better, I'm just never going to get better enough right. to actually meet up to the standard of the law that God has written, yes. that you must meet this standard because I'm already having these sinful thoughts or these sinful desires, even though I didn't act on it. Too bad, you already lost. <laughs> You've sinned, you're out. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And also... I know some because yeah, the idea is, well, you can't control those things. Well, I know. You're right. I know. That's how <laughs> bad it is. Also, I think we, 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 
the fact that you break the Ten Commandments is a symptom. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the disease. They are symptoms of a much deeper disease in your heart. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15. Well, isn't that what kind of Paul says? Like, we didn't know until the law came. Right. Right? Right. The law showed us our sin. Right. And it's not that the law is the problem. It's No. We're the problem. You're the problem. We are lawless. We're lawbreakers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Lutheranism comes out of this this milieu. And also, uh, so uh, let's talk about a few things about what makes Lutheranism uh, distinct. Because we have Lutheran churches in our town. And when many people think about Lutheranism, they may think about denominations like um, the ELCA, which is the mainline or more liberal uh, denomination. Overall, there's also the Missouri Synod Lutherans, who are the biggest of the conservative uh, Lutheran denominations. But let's think about a few things about what Lutheranism teaches. First of all, uh, Lutheranism and Martin Luther, uh, we share this with them as Protestants, is that the Word of God is the sole final authority uh, uh, for our faith and our practice. Not that we don't use commentaries, we don't use, it's not that we throw out all tradition, but the final judge, the supreme judge, is Scripture alone. Um, it is authoritative and it is uh, transformative. I want to read a quote from uh, Martin Luther. He said this, Scripture alone is the true Lord and master of all things and doctrine on earth. If that is not granted, what is Scripture good for? The more we reject it, the more we become satisfied with men's books and human teachers. Eventually, at his uh, whenever he was being judged um, before the uh, Diet of Worms, which was a funny word, but um, where he was being uh, examined and uh, could have been, you know, it could have been pretty dangerous for him uh, there if uh, things had turned out the wrong way. But he said this: "Since then, your serene Majesty and your Lordships seek a simple answer. I will give it in this manner: neither horth nor tuned, toothed." Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. So, scripture alone is the final authority um, for our lives, how does this different from what we've learned about uh, and talked about with uh, Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy? I mean, they, go ahead. They would also say that tradition is authoritative in that yeah. sense. Yeah. I think, and uh, I mean, like specifically, Catholics would think that what the Pope says mm. is authoritative mm. as well. Yeah. So I mean, that's a pretty big difference. That yeah, is. I mean, that's an additional source of authority. Right. Tim, did you have anything you wanted to add? He nailed it. Oh. For me. He nailed Wow. Dink. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think that, um, how does this then, though, find, how does this relate to the question, though, of Scripture alone? So if this is the only place that I can, um, this is the final authority for my life, how does this relate to the question, how do I find a gracious God? Where is God found that I can be saved? Is he found in tradition is he found in the pope is he found in the church or is he found in the pages of the book like scott just talked about last night well yeah like you were talking about like with the ladder and you started mm -hmm. you were talking about um the indulgences that started to come yeah. about you start to ask that question when you hear that 
I think even like people in our church would start to ask that question, where's this coming from? Mm -hmm. And what they mean when they say, where's this coming from is they're really asking where in the Bible does it say that this is real, right? That this is an option. And as you read the Bible, you see, it's not, I don't see a place. So then, well, where did it come from? Well, the Roman Catholic came from a different authority than scripture, but it's the same. They're on the same plane. So it's okay. Right. right? They put them at the same where Protestant would say, Wait, we have a problem with that because Scripture is the final authority, and I'm not seeing this in Scripture that I can get grace from God through an act that Scott does on my behalf of climbing some steps. Right, right. I don't mm-hmm. see that scripturally, so i I can't I can't believe that. And so, what came out of the Reformation, right, and what we would say from the New Testament that's read right in the, in right. the New Testament is that no, that grace is a work of God. Mm-hmm. that we see through through Christ that we learn about. We get to learn about it in Scripture, but not learn about it in a way that is like mystical or anything. We learn about it that it's very historical. One of the mm-hmm. quotes from one of the guys that you interviewed uh, in the Lutheran Church said something along the lines, I can't remember. I can't remember which one it was. I don't want to mess him up. Oh, he said, we're not fundamentalists. We believe the Bible because Jesus rose from the dead. We don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible says so. Mm. And that's kind of true, right? We're reading the Bible saying, this is history. Mm-hmm. And and a guy rose from the dead. Right. Right? And and he says he's the word, and he and he's telling us this is the word to, to know the truth. So then that becomes our authority where mm-hmm. it's like the grace alone faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, the right. glory of God alone. That's a scriptural thing that we've read, not mm-hmm. from other places. That's what the Bible tells us. Right. And that becomes the final authority on those things. Now, it does get muddy, I guess, for people like, well, then why do you read a commentary? Mm. Aren't you listening to man? Or mm. like with the Lutherans, that if, as you interviewed them, they all go back to the same book. They talk about how important... The Bible is, yes, but every single one of them are referencing the Book of Concord. How right. important that is. You should go read that where it can seem like you're giving that a lot of authority right. as well. So then how is that different than if the Pope has authority? Right. I think that's a fair question mm-hmm. that people should ask. Right. I mean, I don't... Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think they would say that to them, this is what a faith... This is what they see as a faithful summary of they would say because the Bible teaches this, we believe the Book of Concord is a faithful representation of what the Bible teaches. Now, obviously, as Baptists, we would disagree mm-hmm. with parts of the Book of Concord and what it teaches. Um, but at the very minimum, they're still trying to maintain the fact that Scripture is the is the is the uh, the supreme norm for everything else. This is where I think it becomes important to care about history of churches. And why even what you're doing with the denomination class or just learning about church history is important because when I was born and became a Christian, I'm not the first one. I don't have to, I'm not creating anything new. And so when I say, I believe the Bible, I believe, I believe Jesus, I believe he rose from the dead and I believe this is his word. There's generations before me that said the exact same thing, the same Mm -hmm. confession. And so there's been a lot of brilliant people who've interpreted the Bible and wrote the Bible and have been considered good Orthodox people, Mm -hmm. right? And so I don't want to just wash all of that away either. I'm not holding on to tradition as that is my hope. No, my hope's in Christ. But there's people who've come along that I can read and learn from 
and understand. And again, basing it all off of scripture, does this balance with what I'm right. reading here? And my fear is sometimes what Protestants will say to distance themselves as far as they can from uh, Catholicism is, nope, I'm just going to read the Bible and whatever I think God wants me to know, I'll know. Mm. Like it just is going to pop in your head and you're mm-hmm. going to figure it all out. And it's like, man, that to me that's just as dangerous as the whole having a different authority. Right. It honestly Be- seems pretty arrogant. Very arrogant. Mm. To think that all these people that have come before you and have spent years, decades, mm-hmm. longer periods longer than your own lifetime mm-hmm. studying the Bible, that they have nothing to say to you. Mm. Yeah. That's very arrogant for mm. someone to say. Because as nobody a, else in any other field of study does that. Mm-hmm. You know. When we look at like the timelines and the charts that Spencer's been making for this class of like, okay, you have Roman Catholicism straight line. Oh, we got a break. Oh, we got another break. It's not like those breaks were just like these instant breaks. This was like right. a lot of discussion. This was a right. lot of thought. These were a lot of processes that people went through in years. Of, of really right. thinking through it. And sure, there was an explosion like during the Reformation time where because a door that was shut was now open and people are starting to think through it, right? Again, brilliant people are trying to think through it. And so I'm not saying, you know, it would be the best for a Baptist to go and well, I'm just going to start reading Lutheran stuff because they were a long time ago and they were smart. And why would we deny? No, I'm, we still think through these things and we have differences and that's okay. But it's dumb to just throw all of that stuff away and say it's not important right? or helpful, right? at least. I like what you said as well about it. It's not like this stuff happened overnight. It's not like the Pope just clicked and unfriended Martin Luther <laughs> right. Right? and said, I'm angry. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, but I mean like, um, yeah, good point. Good point. These, these, and also, it's not just, it's, it's the church, right? It's the the church of all ages mm-hmm. that you're trying to listen to um god did put us in a church to read the bible with mm-hmm. um and we have to admit i don't i don't think baptists like to do this at least a lot of them i go around they'll say things like i believe there's other christians and other denominations but they don't live that way they don't actually mm-hmm. act that way because when you start to say oh you know my lutheran friend or this friend they what like they're not christian they that's how it acts and no that we have differences but there right. are really actually some very faithful brothers and sisters in these denominations, even throughout history, that we can learn from, right, that we can respect. You know, we're not Lutheran. Right. But we can sit here and say, I think Martin Luther was a godsend. Right. For us. Right. As Baptists. Right. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. Yeah. Without him fighting that fight. He's right. the Godfather. <laughs> and you could yeah. say that about a lot of other yeah. people yeah. who aren't Baptists, right? You can go down the line, or even when you get to your Baptist history, which we'll do down the road here, we don't agree with all the Baptists. They fight in all the time, but right. we can be thankful for those who started it, right? And we can still learn from them yep. and, and grow from them and be thankful for them, but we don't hold them infallible. No. Right? We don't no. do that. No. No. Scripture alone mm-hmm. is the... The final authority. Um, next, real quick, I want to talk about um, just real quick. The, so, first of all, that's a big difference between Eastern Orthodox right. Catholic churches and Lutheranism. But also, obviously, this is a that is a tenet that we share with Lutherans. Uh, the scripture alone is the the final authority. Uh, second of all, I want to talk about the fact of what salvation is uh, emphasized in in Lutheranism, and it's the fact that salvation is found no longer in trying to climb the ladder 
to get the fuel to climb the ladder of virtues, but it's found is it's it's justification, it's acceptance with God on account of Christ alone, and that is the heart of the gospel in Lutheranism. So first of all, there's the assumption, like uh, Tim, you pointed out earlier, one of the things right away you recognize is that Lutheranism, as we, um, at least, you know, I think all of us around the table would share this basic understanding of original sin, that sin goes much deeper than the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox will talk about. Mm -hmm. Sin goes very deep. It's not just simply the external actions I do, but we are slaves to sin. Jesus said that. If you commit sin, you are a slave to sin. Mm-hmm. Those are Jesus' words. Um, so the first thing that we talk about is the fact that mankind is enslaved to sin under the wrath of God and incapable of rescuing um, himself. I'm quoting from one of the uh, the small called articles of the Lutheran, uh, one of the, that's in the Book of Concord that the Lutherans, or, uh, confessional Lutherans confess. And they say this, here we must confess, as Paul says in Romans 5.12, that sin originated and entered the world from one man, Adam, by whose disobedience all men were made sinners and subject to death and the devil. This is called original or capital sin. The fruits of this sin are afterwards the evil deeds which are forbidden in the Ten Commandments, such as distrust or unbelief, false faith, idolatry, to be without the fear of God, presumption, recklessness, yeah, on and on and on and on. Um, and they, they go ahead and list all the breakings of the Ten Commandments. But first of all, notice right away that because of what Adam did, we are all sinners. And whenever we break the Ten Commandments, that is simply the fruit of, of this original sin. So right away, we've, we've, we've entered a different realm. We're, we sin because we're sinners already. And that is something that um, a lot of people don't like to hear, the, the depth of, of sin. And I think that one of the things I've tried to talk about in the class a lot is how bad you think the problem is is going to show what you think the solution has to be. If you don't think the problem is that bad, then the solution doesn't have to be that good. But if the problem, our sin, is totally bad, then the solution has to be entirely gracious and full of God's power to save us um, from our sin. So what you think about the one is going to necessarily impact what you think about the other. I don't think this understanding of sin, however, um, I think we around the table would share it. The Baptists of the past would have shared this. Lutherans believe it. But I don't know that much of evangelicalism embraces this idea of sin, that we're actually rotten to the core. It's almost like, um, well, I've heard it said, my dad actually told me, um, I don't know if it was Alistair Begg that said this or what, but like, there are degrees of life, but there are no degrees of death. So if Paul says we're dead in sins, there's no degrees to that. You're just dead. It's not like you're mostly dead or partially dead. You're all the way dead. Now you could be hanging on for life in the in a life sense but there's no degrees of death death is death and it's incapable of raising itself um what do you guys think about that is this idea of original sin strange to a lot of people or what do you think most people even think about the problem of sin at all does that make sense yeah i think it goes back to what we talked about earlier though about like this inside of you are good things and i don't know where it comes from i I don't know how to trace it back to say, you know, like, well, this is an American idea. I don't know if yeah. that's really a true statement, but it seems like of 
how we live in America, it's we're easily susceptible to think that there is good in us, mm-hmm. you know, because we'll say, look at all that man has done. I mean, we've right. been to the moon. Right. Right. We've been able to do all these different things. We we have good. We have wisdom. We we know how to do good. Mm. We can help somebody who's sick. Mm. You know, we we care about whatever. Right. And so there's this compassionate nature to where people say, see, there's something mm. something good in us. But yet we see the Bible's telling us, no, even your good deeds are filthy rags. Mm. And there's like pushback from that to say, I don't know if that's true because I'm feeding people who are hungry. Right. You're telling me right. this is worthless. Right. And and so there's this it's almost like an affront to hear that I'm that bad or even worse to hear that like my kids you're telling me my my kid mm-hmm. look at him he's adorable are you mm-hmm. you're telling me he's rotten to the right, core right sin and that and that in his sin he is lost and God you know if he were to die God's gonna send him to hell because of his sin no way there's no way there's got to be a different way and it's it goes back I think again to we start to we start to define who God is. We start to define what love is mm. apart from God. And again, we're going to a different authority. Right. Ourself. Right. We have become our own authority. Mm. And it's like it's like you said, it's it's very hard because I've I've come across this numerous times. Numerous times with people. To say, what do you think it means you're dead in your sin? Mm. And they talk about it, work their way around it to try to say a dead man can still do something. It's like what? Right. A dead man can do something? What? Right. Let's what go are, down to Merkel and let's go see. Yeah, I mean, what are they what are they going to do? But it's like that's what you're trying to talk. And they honestly there's like they get offended right. that you would even say that or think that. And it's like I'm not talking bad about your brother. I'm saying everybody right. is dead. Everybody right. me. Me me too. Yes. Everybody but Jesus. <laughs> yeah, everyone but Jesus. But then he went and died. Right. <laughs> right. And so I don't know. I just I don't know when this start. Maybe this has been a problem all along. I guess, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. I think some it's very. Prevalent. I think where a lot of the confusion comes in for people uh, is is when the. And I think this has already been said, but is when people think about sin only as actions that you mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you don't uh, take account of the places in Scripture that talk about it as if it is a nature, right, and a condition, yeah, uh, of who we are, right, and. Places in Scripture that talk about the our hard hearts, yeah. That like our very nature is what needs to be renewed, right? That our whole person needs to be remade and mm-hmm. born again, yeah. Um, that's that's more than just you need to change your actions, yeah. It's you need to be born again. That's a very different. That's a radical idea beyond change your actions. Yeah. And I just think that that's what maybe people don't understand when we when we're talking about a sinful nature, like a person being totally bad. Mm-hmm. They're thinking, I think, probably just about actions. Yeah, because like what you said, Tim, people are capable of of doing good actions, mm-hmm. not kind things towards right. one another, and terrible things towards one another. Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, yeah, no, I don't, I don't feel like people are wholly bad. Mm. Um, but when you consider their nature at the right, core, right. that's what we're talking about. Right. When we're talking about what we'd say is original sin or mm. sinful nature. Um, this is the I problem of the, the Pharisee. Confusion. This is the Pharisee's problem, right? When Jesus would interact with them, uh, he was telling them such bad things about the Pharisees that I think I think when we look back and we think about the Pharisees, we think those were just miserable humans, mm. right? They They were all selfish. 
None of them cared about anything but themselves, mm. right? And I don't know if that's really the right. case. I think some of them were probably awesome human beings, cared about people greatly. But Jesus kept wanting to point out to them, these actions you're doing don't mean right. anything because you're a sinner, right? And people are like, well, if they are, right. what about me? Right. Because of the actions, right? And Jesus right. is saying, no, they, they are, and you are too. Right. And there's something that you need. Right, you need a savior, but they didn't grasp that. They didn't understand that. And so when he goes up to Nicodemus, like Scott just said, Nicodemus is like, "What do I need to do?" He says, "You need to be born again." Right. Wait a second. I got to enter my mom again and okay. be born. Now this isn't a this isn't a dumb guy. Who can do this? Yeah, this isn't a dumb guy asking this question. This is a very intelligent person. The, Ask the teacher of Israel. Yes, and he's like, "What do you mean?" Right. right. So there was this confusion that even you, Nicodemus, need a whole new change. Mm. Everything. Everything, mm-hmm. not just your actions, but all of you mm-hmm. needs to be reborn. And mm-hmm. so that's where we see in right. the New Testament, you put, the old self is gone, has died. Right. New self is given. Right. That's not, I can't create a new self. Right. That has to be done for me. Right. You don't need resuscitated. You need resurrected. Yeah. And, and also, um, one of the things too, I think, and this is where it'll lead to the next part here, is for Luther, this actually led to great freedom, I think. Yeah. And and I think this is the thing people think one of the misconceptions is that if I say if I agree with this idea of original sin it's going to be very it's very um constricting and in a sense it is but there's great freedom in acknowledging the fact that I can't do anything good and all I can do is look at what he did. See that's what the gospel does is it tells us what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. I'm going to quote for, again from Martin Luther and I think this is from his, uh, yeah, his commentary on Isaiah. And, and the idea is, is that we, since we can't do anything, God has done it all for us. So we have to look entirely to Jesus, his pure heart, his pure motives, his life, his death. And, and Luther says this, the chastisement of peace. Peter treats this passage. Um, Christ is not so much a judge and an angry God, but one who bears and carries our sins, a mediator. He says, away with the papists who have set Christ before us as a terrible judge and have turned the saints into intercessors. There they have added fuel to the fire. By nature, we are already afraid of God. Blessed, therefore, are those who are who as uncorrupted young people arrived at this understanding that they can say, I only knew Jesus Christ as the bearer of my sins. The name of Christ then is most agreeable. The chastisement or punishment of our peace, that is, his chastisement is the remedy that brings peace to our conscience. Before Christ, there is nothing but disorder, but he was chastised for the sake of our peace. Note the wonderful exchange. One man sins, another pays the penalty. One deserves peace, the other has it. The one who should have peace has chastisement, while the one who, has, the one who should have chastisement has peace. It is a difficult thing to know what Christ is. And so he's emphasizing the fact that there's this wonderful exchange that takes place in the cross where Christ, we get everything he did, and he takes everything that we are upon himself. And this wonderful exchange takes place on the cross that Christ takes our place, and therefore we are healed uh, by what he has done. And therefore, because we're free to acknowledge that we're sinners completely, there's so much wonderful freedom actually in acknowledging that every day that Christ does it all, we are made right with God only by receiving the gift of Christ alone. The uh, Again, another Lutheran document, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, describes faith this way. Faith is that my whole heart takes to itself this treasure, 
It is not my doing. That's so powerful. Faith is not you doing anything. Faith is not my doing, not my presenting or giving, not my work or preparation, but that a heart comforts itself and is perfectly confident with respect to this, namely, that God makes a present and gift to us and not we to him, that he sheds upon us every treasure of grace in Christ. That's a big difference in understanding of salvation than climbing the ladder. It's everything's done. And I just, it's like, it's the testament idea. Because he died, we're in the will. Mm-hmm. And we just get it. And we comfort ourselves by faith because God has revealed this to us. Any thoughts about that, um, you know, as we're ending our time here? but I mean, this is where I would say we're thankful for that work, mm-hmm. right? Back in history. Yes. We would, we would stand on this and be very thankful for it. And you're right. It's very comforting when, just as a human, when you begin to realize your place. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people would say that's a dangerous place to be because then you get too content and you don't actually rise as much as you can. But there's something, you know, comforting in knowing I'm not perfect. Right. What I think about is like, I think about the students that I used to get to teach, you know, 4.0 students and they're all down. What's going on? I got an A minus today. They're just distraught, you know, over this. And like, there's this perfection they've been trying to live up to. And they they're not living up to it and it's mm. it's like it's okay you know you're okay you're mm-hmm. fine and maybe just realizing this is this is who i am you know this is this is my life maybe i had a dream that i was going to be in the nba one day but at some point you come to this realization nope and there is a comforting aspect to it though of when you're okay like that's fine i don't i don't need to be that and so what you're talking about of coming to this realization mm-hmm. of who I truly am, what the Bible really says I am and saying, that's okay. And right. this is who God is. And I'm like, right. that's okay too. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I, and I accept that. Now we've talked a lot about, I want to do this at the, at the end, if you don't mind, yeah. Spencer, is we've talked a lot about what we're thankful for in some but Luther would probably say we as Baptists reformed too much, right? Oh yeah, he would. Okay. He would, yeah. And probably the Lutherans would too. So there's yeah. some differences sure. that we that we have. We don't have to sit here and list sure. all the differences, sure. but what are uh, maybe some of the bigger ones? Right. That well, one of the big ones obviously would be the fact that they still they practice infant baptism still, um, which is Baptist we wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have an idea that the um, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which they would call sacraments, we typically would call them ordinances. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some powerful working that that happens there um so and and it's in other words just to clarify what you mean is that those are not purely symbolic right so they're not simply signs and seals or got they're they're actually doing something um in the sense in which they uh so whenever we say um you know with the lord's supper we would say um Christ's physical body and blood is not there. Lutherans would confessionally, uh, by their statements, would say, yes, he's there somehow. Somehow the physical Jesus is in, with, and under the bread and the cup. We would disagree with that, um, obviously. And, um, and so those would be two very big differences. Obviously, as well, they would, they would emphasize the salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. But they'd also have, uh, uh, they, would not, they would have the, uh, the door open 
for the idea that somebody could be a true believer and yet fall away by by stopping to believe in Jesus. It's possible to be a living vine and to be cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would they would disagree uh, with us on, on an issue like that, where we would say, no. Once somebody is indwelt by the Spirit of God and has true saving faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a true believer, you can never ultimately fall away. You may go through many trials and tribulations. And it may be a while before you're brought back to repentance, but you will be brought back uh, somehow and be preserved mm-hmm. um, to the end. So those would be some really basic um, uh, differences in worship style. Obviously, their worship is going to be much more ceremonial and liturgical, um, formal than we're probably used to mm-hmm. as Baptists. So that would be um, just something even external that would be very different. There's also a difference in church government, right? Yeah, they don't really believe it matters. It's kind of like indifferent. It's whatever you know, whatever floats your boat. Well, they organize themselves into synods, right? Well, the or Missouri house. Synod, yeah. yeah, the Missouri Synod would. I know there's churches um, that will still have bishops. The Missouri Synod doesn't. They have a president. Um, and I think the my understanding is, and I could be really wrong, so if you're a Missouri Synod Lutheran out there and you're listening, I don't know why you're listening, but if you are, you could correct me. But I think that they're more, they're loose, more loosely or the Missouri Synod is. They're more kind of congregational in a sense, but it's still with synods, and so there's connectional stuff. But The two biggest are Missouri and Wisconsin, or no? Of, of Well, Wisconsin would be conservative. The biggest one, I think, would still be the the liberal ELCA, Evangelical oh, Lutheran Church biggest? in America. I think they probably are still are. Really? But the biggest conservative one would be the Missouri Synod. Wisconsin Synod would be conservative and still sizable but i mean compared to the like compared to a denomination like the sbc they're they're minuscule but i mean they still have a, a decent you know there's a there's a wisconsin synod not too far from my house church um and they would be very conservative as well mm-hmm. yeah we should have had uh pots dan pots from trinity on we should have him on sometime he would have come we should have him if on we would have asked him he would have came yeah and talked about it i'm not sure what trinity are they missouri yeah they're, they're missouri. missouri synod yeah yeah He's a he's a real good guy. Yeah, Missouri. So, and I think something that we need to state. Mm-hmm. I think we would say, uh, maybe not the main line, but with the Roman Catholic Church, with the yes. Eastern Orthodox Church, we probably would tell our people share the gospel with them. Right. The right. Lutheran Church. Right. By their creeds and yes. stuff, we would say they're clear on the gospel. They're brothers and sisters yes. in the Lord with us. Right. We have differences for yes. sure. But we would say you don't need to go and share the gospel with them. Right. They they are teaching the right. gospel. Right. Yeah. yeah no. At, at least, at le- you know, if they're a Lutheran that believes what what's on the paper, right. they're going yeah, to yeah. believe that mm-hmm. salvation alone is of God, mm-hmm. that they're a sinner, and that salvation is found completely and alone mm-hmm. because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, that's a good point. Uh, a really good point um, to uh, to wrap us up uh, with that and everything. And of course, you know they're. Missouri Synod, another great reason why you should visit Missouri. Um, you can go visit uh, anytime you would like to. I've been to Missouri. Yeah, go to around St. Louis and um, on one of my favorite Missouri Synod Lutheran podcast issues, etc. They are St. Louis Cardinal fans on there, and they will do shows about. Did you listen to that before? Issues, etc. Yeah, they have stuff about yeah, the I don't Cardinals. Listen about the Cardinals, though. Oh, okay. I'm not All right. Well, let's wrap up then. Okay. They didn't win the World <laughs> Series, did they? No, that's next year. Then they're losers. That's, that's next, next year. year. That's next year. Okay. Did the Braves go. win? They did. Oh, oh my gosh. Whoa. I've arrived. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the rapture didn't happen. I don't so. know. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> I don't know. That's all. Wow. Good job, Scott. 
yeah. The title of this podcast should be Scott Gets One Right. Scott Gets One Right. <laughs> I just have friends on Facebook who are Braves fans and post all about it. Okay. Yeah. Hey. Braves. They won. They won. They did good. I was glad they won. Okay, let's play some outro music here. And, uh, okay, let's roll it up here, the volume. Okay. Well, thank you very much for listening uh, to this discussion. We hope it's been helpful um, to you. And uh, we look forward to being with you next time when we talk about the Reformed tradition next week. Take care. God bless.